0: the pftpm podcast and now your host mike florio
1: april 18 edition of the pftpm podcast eight days away from the draft third straight day for the pftpm podcast i hope you're happy hashtag pftpm posse t-shirt in the works i think there's like seven but there's seven we can do a roll call What does it take to be in the PFTPM Posse? I guess you have to listen. Listen and ask questions. I don't know. It's purely voluntary. No entry fee. Although having the t-shirt, I think, is going to be one of the major prerequisites. And they will be for sale. And they won't be cheap. i got to make money off of this thing somehow. Maybe that's how I make money off of this thing. The PFTPM Posse t-shirt costs (laughs) $1,000. Don't give me any ideas. As I mentioned, April 18, and let me just do a quick aside here. My mom would have been 84 today. She died in 1995. She battled ovarian cancer for six and a half years. And I probably would have never come close to even being remotely successful in anything I ever chose to do if she hadn't pushed me as hard as she did. And she pushed me. She was the child of immigrants My father was the child of immigrants. One of the things that is hanging on the wall in the barn is my grandfather on my father's side's original naturalization certificate, 1915. And both she and my dad wanted, I think, if nothing else, to prove assimilation and acceptance in American society. And they had skewed views of what that meant. It meant going to college, it meant getting a job, it meant doing things in the traditional American way, pursuing the American dream in a between the buoys sort of a way. Graduate high school, go to college, four-year degree, get a job, buy a house, get married, have kids, and prove that the American dream can be had by those from other countries. I don't know that she would have fully appreciated what I ended up doing. And I don't know that she would dub that as successful. I always had, even though I listened and I was driven, she helped make me driven. In every way, really. I, I I had a different idea of what I wanted to do. And I know what a big deal it was when I decided to go to law school. That was against the vision of get your college degree, get your job, get your house, get your slice of the American dream. And work, work, work at the same job for 40 years until you retire. And then you retire and you take care of your yard. And you sit on your porch and you play with your grandkids and then you die. I mean, that was kind of the, the whole experience the way she envisioned what it took to be successful in America. So anyway, I just wonder what she'd think of all this crap that's gone on over the last really 18 years. She was gone by the time that I decided to exit a law firm where I'd become a partner and practice law on my own, which would have been a major, major no, no. You don't throw back The financial bird in the hand. You don't walk away from all the effort that you put in to become a partner in a law firm because now you're basically in position where you just have to show up every day for the next 30 years and your financial needs are taken care of and you're a respected member of the community and that would have been that would have been a major family problem. If I'd have said, oh, yeah, hey, mom, by the way, I'm leaving the law firm that I made partner at. and I'm just going to practice on my own. Uh, talk to you tomorrow. Bye. You throw on top of that, giving up that law practice nine years later to roll the dice on being a full-time blogger. What the hell is a blogger? What the hell is this? What's this football thing you're doing? What is that all about? Where can I even read it? If it's not on paper, it's not real. I have to read it on a computer. Are you kidding? It, it would have, 2000 would have been a major, major problem when I decided to practice law 2009 would have been probably the incident that caused her not to speak to me for at least, at least, I'm not going to say a year. She'd have been mad. She'd have been really mad. She'd have acknowledged me. She'd have talked to me. She'd have wanted access to the grandchild, so I don't know that it would have been a full-blown freeze-out, but she'd have been pissed. So anyway, I think, about, I think about that from time to time. What would she think of all this stuff? Because it really is, on one hand, reflective of what she had envisioned success means in America for essentially the grandchild of a pair of immigrants. On the other hand, it really flew in the face of that very linear approach. Too many right turns, too many left turns, too many U-turns, too many twists and turns for her liking. So anyway, thanks for indulging me there. Those of you who are still listening, I guess that's what counts for full membership in the PFTPM podcast. If you just listened to seven minutes of that and you're still listening, then then you're in. And I appreciate that. All right, let's do a quick five down territory. Darius Geis the LSU running back, talked to him earlier today. I'll play that after I work my way through a few of the topics of the day. And I want to begin with the Tom Brady situation because when I first saw Shefty's report about Brady not committing to playing in 2018, I was very happy because I've been saying all week, don't be surprised if Tom Brady pulls a Barry Sanders. And if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be worried about that. It would be a blip out on the edge of the radar screen that maybe is a close, a lot closer to the middle of the radar screen after hearing what Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston both reported in writing on Monday and then had to say on the PFTPM podcast. So my first thought was, yeah, this is good. This is good. I'll set aside my inclination to push back against anything that otherwise would feel a little sketchy and a little flimsy because it meshes with my belief that there's a chance, slim as it may be, that Tom Brady is indeed going to walk away. And then I read the report. I read the item that was posted at ESPN.com, and I realized what was going on here. Shefty's trying to plant a flag. Shefty and ESPN want to be in a position where if Brady does indeed at some point decide not to play in 2018, then they were first to mention it. They were first to report it or something like it. And the report is this. He hasn't committed to playing in 2018 but people who know him think he's going to play. That's the report. Now, it ignores. And I resisted the temptation to retweet. I've resisted so far the temptation to retweet something Shefty tweeted the day of the Super Bowl at 5.45 p.m. February 4. Tom Brady tells Westwood One, quote, you're going to see me playing football next year. I don't envision not playing end quote. So to the extent that we're saying now that he hasn't committed to playing in 2018, I think that's a commitment to playing in 2018. You could say circumstances have changed. Obviously that was before Malcolm Butler decided to keep, well, let me try that again. Boy, it was going well until I screwed that up. That was before Bill Belichick decided to keep Malcolm Butler on the sidelines for all of Super Bowl 52 with the exception of one punt return play. So, circumstances may have changed. But at the same time, if we're looking for Tom Brady to say, I plan to play in 2018, he already has. And if you're going to write and push and herald this idea that Brady hasn't committed to playing in 2018, probably a good idea to point out that he did say in his Westwood One interview the day of the Super Bowl at least it was played the day of the Super Bowl, I don't know how far before that it was taped, that he is playing in 2018. I think enough has changed to at least raise the possibility that Brady could walk away. And I think what ESPN is trying to do, instead of simply speculating, connecting dots, saying, you know what, I won't be shocked if he walks away. ESPN and or Shefty decided they wanted to chase this and get some concrete nugget that could be characterized as something that would constitute the first brick in the path that ended with Brady pulling a Barry Sanders and unexpectedly retiring. That's what they're doing. Hey, we got to get something here. Let's advance this story. How do we advance it? Um... Let's see, how can we advance it? Has he come out and said, I'm definitely playing in 2018? You know what? He hasn't said that. He hasn't said that, at least not since the Super Bowl. Let's get somebody to confirm that he hasn't committed, that he hasn't declared, that he hasn't proclaimed, I am all in for 2018. Because if he hasn't done that, maybe we have something. Maybe that's the thing that we can later point to if he retires and we can tell the world we were right all along. We were the first on this. That's what I think they're up to. And that's what makes it more than a little disingenuous to me. We're speculating and we're reaching for some scrap, some shred, some thread, some speck of dust that can be used to make that speculation feel like it's actual news. The fact that Tom Brady has not come out and said, I will play in 2018, is not news because there's no reason for him to come out and say it. Now, if after the Super Bowl, someone had said to him, Tom, what about this rumor that you may be retiring? And his response was, I don't know where that came from. I don't know what I'm going to do in 2018. The absence of a declaration that he's going to play in 2018 would be news. That's the Rob Gronkowski example. That's what happened with Gronk. Once he says in response to the question, what about the rumor that you may retire? I don't know where you heard about that. There's a that to have heard about. There's something tangible there. So the absence of a commitment to play 10 weeks and three days later becomes news. This really isn't news. I hate to say it. I hate to say it because I love a good story. And my God, what a story it would be if at some point between now and the start of training camp, Tom Brady decides that's it. I'm out. So, and I can't say I decided to go out and get actual news. I didn't. I mainly go about my business. I have, from time to time, and I don't want to knock down the fourth wall too much here, in part because it's boring as shit, but from time to time, there will be something that I realize, hey, I should go out and track this down. Let me track down that piece of information. Let me chase this. Let me advance the story this way. A lot of other times, I'm just trying to survive. You get up at 5, You get ready for a show, you try to write a story or two before the show begins, you execute the show in three hours, the show ends, you want to post a certain number of stories based upon the news that's out there, based upon ideas you have, based upon things that are in the hopper, and you just kind of go, and you go, and you go, and you do the afternoon podcast, and you go, and you go, and it never dawned on me, hey, let me go out and find something tangible that would disprove this idea that, oh, maybe he is going to retire. Sometimes the stuff comes to you because people are reading. And really, that's been one of the best ways that I've cultivated an array of sources in the NFL, the saturation rate that we have among people who are in the business, players, coaches, GMs, owners, media members, agents, people who are on the inside. Those people read what is out there, and from time to time, they'll reach out and they'll provide information. And I can't disclose who provides the information, but someone reliable contacted me today and said, oh, you know what, by the way, this idea that Brady's retiring, is a crock of shit. He's already setting up his get together with teammates to have passing drills in the donut hole between OTAs and training camp. Now, I guess he could still walk away despite that, but that's a pretty tangible piece of evidence that the guy's coming back. And they say actions speak louder than words. I guess in this case, and as I characterized it on Twitter, actions speak louder than lack of words. So he hasn't said he's definitely playing in 2018. When does he really need to? Versus he's making arrangements to get together with teammates between the end of OTAs and training camp to get ready for the season. That would tend to suggest he's coming back. Now, am I going to say that definitely, absolutely, positively means he's coming back? No, because something's going on. Something weird's happening. And I still think there's a chance he rolls out of bed one day and says, screw it. But to try to take that speculation and turn it into a report by saying, oh, do you know, he has yet to declare with certainty that he will play in 2018. I mean, even if he did, he could still change his mind. Even if he were pushed to say right now, I definitely am playing in 2018. There's a chance between now and training camp, something would happen that would cause him to change his mind especially when you consider just his vague sense that something is happening with the Patriots, something is happening with Brady. He's changed, Bill Belichick hasn't, and Bill Belichick likely isn't going to change to placate Tom Brady. I mean, Bill Belichick knows at some point Brady's going to be gone, and I think Belichick relishes the challenge of succeeding without Brady, and whenever it happens, it happens. Now, I don't think they want to be caught flat-footed, and he'll probably be pissed off that he traded Jimmy Garoppolo, but does anybody really think Tom Brady's going to play longer than Jimmy Garoppolo does? Belichick could have kept Garoppolo. Belichick will find someone else. And I think this lingering sense that something isn't completely right means it's all the more important that Belichick emerged from this draft with a quarterback he feels good about. But how upset would Belichick be if there really is a revolt being led against the Patriot way by Tom Brady? At some point, I think Bill Belichick's reaction is tell him to get the hell out then. If he doesn't like it, he knows how things work here. If he's at the point where he doesn't like it anymore, hey, that's fine. This isn't for everyone. You're either all in or you're all out. If you're not all in, I'd rather you be all out. Hey, Tom, let's have a conversation. What's this stuff I'm reading about you leading a revolt? Do you have a problem with the way we do things? If you do, there's the door. Would that surprise anybody if that was Bill Belichick's reaction? Tom, you're either part of this or you're not. Hey, Tom, what's this crap about you being perturbed about the way I do things? You don't like it? Well, you made a lot of money. You don't have to play. This isn't for everybody. If it's not for you anymore, so be it. I don't know that Belichick is going to force the issue to a head that way, but history would tell us that his reaction would be closer to that than, oh, no, Tom, please, Tom, please stay. I'll do whatever I need to do to keep you, Tom. Tom, do you want me to change, Tom? What can I do to make you happy, Tom? I can't win without you, Tom. I'd have never done anything in this business without you, Tom. You got to stay. I'm I'm going to be worthless without you, Tom. Between those two reactions, which one's more likely? And now that's speculation, okay? Okay. I guess if I wanted to, I could report that Bill Belichick has yet to call Tom Brady and say, oh, Tom, please don't leave. Don't go. I'll do whatever you want, Tom. Please, Tom. Please don't leave. Please don't. Please don't retire. Please don't be upset. Please don't be unhappy. I'll change. If Bill Belichick hasn't done that, is that news? All right, let me move on. Peyton Manning declined the overtures of ESPN and Fox to become a broadcaster, to become a game analyst. Peyton Manning said at a restaurant leadership conference in Phoenix earlier this week, that means somebody paid Peyton Manning a shitload of money to show up and talk, right? He can make a good living showing up places and speaking Telling stories about the old days, telling stories about the pre-draft process, telling stories about the time they beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game. He can make a good living going from city to city, town to town, showing up at these events. Didn't he get like 500 grand once for a speaking engagement at like Oklahoma State? Am I misremembering? There's a chance I am. Anyway, he said at this event for which he got paid a shitload of money, I don't want to be a critic at this point. And then he joked, I still do too many commercials. I think he can still do commercials. There was a question when Tiki Barber got into the media because he was part of the Today Show that maybe he shouldn't be doing. Remember he had that Cadillac commercial where he's driving around his Cadillac and he's talking about things. John Gruden was doing Hooters commercials for Crying Out Loud when he was working for ESPN's Monday Night Football. I think Peyton could do both. I think Peyton realizes that if he does aspire to run a team at some point, it doesn't make sense to go on TV for three hours a week and both criticize people you may have to work with in the future. Now, that was why John Gruden wasn't Chucky when he was in the booth. That's one of the big reasons. You start burning bridges if you piss people off by speaking honestly about why their football team isn't any good, about why a coach isn't getting it done, about why a player isn't getting it done. And I think Peyton Manning would take his role seriously. He would jump into it with both feet. And if anybody had a problem with what he said, that would be their problem. And that's what I'd hope he would do. But if you envision at some point running a team and jumping back into the competitive fray, that creates an issue. So really, I'd rather a guy not do it than do it in a way that is inauthentic and guarded and protective of future football interests. And I think he's been told by folks, just don't do it. Don't get into TV. Don't do it. You don't need the money. You don't need the headache, you don't need the aggravation, and you don't need to be saying things that will potentially slam doors and alienate people. Even if the audience loves you, if the owner of every crappy team is upset because you are willing to say, my gosh, this team is crappy, makes it harder to get in. But you know what? It didn't keep Matt Millen out. I'm reminded of that story. That the Lions always loved Matt Millen because he'd show up at the production meetings and he would tell the teams what they're doing wrong and what they need to do to get better. To the point where there were coaches that wanted to punch him in the face. I've heard stories about coaches that basically wanted to tell him, shut the hell up, I know what I'm doing, don't come in here, you blowhard, and tell me how to run my team. So eventually Millen ran his own team and he ran it into the ground. So it's not impossible for... Peyton Manning to end up running a team, even if he would become a broadcaster, but I think he would have to be a broadcaster in a certain way that wouldn't piss everyone off publicly. He could piss some people off privately, piss off some coaches by saying, man, here's what you guys need to do to improve. But that's far different than telling the world that. People get sensitive when they get criticized. It's a basic aspect of human nature. It takes a while to get a thick coat of callus on your soul where you don't care. If people say things about you, I've almost gotten there completely where I don't care what anybody says. As long as the checks keep coming, as long as I still have the platform, you can say whatever you want about me. It's not going to affect my life in any way whatsoever. My life isn't changing in any one way. If people want to come after me, it's hard to get to that point though. You spend a lot of nights staring at the ceiling, freaked out because of something someone said. And I think it makes it harder. I mean, my God, if I had any aspiration to work for a team, I'd probably have a hard time because I've pissed off, I don't know, all of them at some point in the last 18 years. I think Peyton Manning would be great on TV, but I think he's got a bigger play in mind, and I think it will be great for the NFL once he's back. If he's back in the NFL, hes if he's in a position of influence, I think the NFL could use him right now. As the NFL is trying to self-destruct with its fear of these safety issues that will prompt the league to make radical changes. And I wrote last night about the kickoff rule. Let me just clarify my point here. I'm not saying the kickoff rule needs to go away. My point is just get rid of the damn thing already. We know it's coming. What are you waiting for? You're going to torture us for the next two years while you engage in this public debate trying to justify doing what we already know you want to do? Just do it already. Quit trying to harvest evidence and build consensus. Just do it if you're going to do it. I'm not saying it should be gone. They've already neutered it. Oh, we can't get rid of the kickoff. Have you been watching the game the last five years? They have gotten rid of the kickoff. They've made the kickoff meaningless. And they'll keep looking for more ways to make it meaningless. Just get rid of it already. I think Peyton Manning would be a voice of reason. And I think at a time like this, he'd say, folks, what are we doing here? We're just going to make this thing meaningless. Let's just get rid of it. If you're determined to get rid of it, get rid of it. Why do we have to make changes to the rules that relate to the manner in which violence and aggression will be displayed on a professional football field? We're doing that so it'll trickle down to the lower levels of the sport. Why are we doing that? There are two ways to handle this. We don't have to hope that our changes trickle down. We can spearhead changes at the lower levels of the sport. We can fund programs to get youth football to be played in a more safe way. We don't have to play it in a way that is so safe that it changes the fundamental nature of what people are tuning in to see. I think a voice like Peyton Manning's could be very valuable in that regard. There was an interesting story today about Saquon Barkley. It came from Sports Illustrated, a writer for SI that frankly had never heard of before. That doesn't mean he's not a great writer. He may be the greatest writer Sports Illustrated's ever had, but usually when somebody writes something from a publication, I'm familiar with the name. I think it's Ben Baskin. The only reason that rang a bell because Baskin was the last name of Tom Hanks' character in Big. Josh Baskin, I believe. I'm just going with Josh because it seems like everybody all of a sudden is named Josh. Josh Baskin was Tom Hanks' character in Big. Ben Baskin is the guy who wrote a profile about Saquon Barkley that included the suggestion that people from Rock Nation, that's the agency founded several years ago by Jay-Z, are steering him away from Cleveland. Kim Miali, the person who was hired by Jay-Z at a time when, and this has all died down. The thinking was Jay-Z's making all the moves, but Jay-Z can't get licensed to be an NFLPA certified contract advisor. So they went out and found someone who would accept employment and basically be the person who signs off on things while Jay-Z does it all. I don't know how much of that Jay-Z does anymore. But that's how they got Kim Miali. And Miali went on the record with Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer and said, we're not steering Saquon Barkley away from anyone. So, look, I don't know. Should you be steered away from the Browns? Does it even matter? I don't think it matters because I don't think the Browns are taking him at one. Now, they may take him at four. The thinking is, the Giants are going to take him at two, but there is a chance he's on the board at four. There's a chance it goes quarterback, 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 Josh Allen, Sam Darnold to the Giants, Baker Mayfield to the Jets, Saquon Barkley on the board at four. What do the Browns do? They've already paid Carlos Hyde. I still think it's high, even at four, to take Saquon Barkley if you're not going to make him your workhorse. I think Bradley Chubb makes more sense if you already have a running back and you can find other running backs at other rounds of the draft. Now, if Saquon Barkley's can't miss, and the Browns have decided that, and the Browns want another Jim Brown. I, I wouldn't avoid Cleveland. If I was a draft pick and they were going to make me the first or the fourth pick in the draft and pay me accordingly and allow me to come be a superstar for a city that is desperate to have a football star, who's the last star player on the Browns? Go ahead, I'll wait. The last star player, Bernie Kosar. Is that the last true star Brown? I mean, Josh Gordon had a chance to be before he got suspended. Johnny Manziel was for, you know, until he started playing. The true star player, the guy whose jersey you had to have, the guy who you wanted to emulate, who's the guy that kids in Cleveland want to be when they're playing football after school in the backyard, assuming that kids still do that. How many kids are choosing the Browns? on Madden. When I work out, I play Madden's ultimate team and you have to pick a team. Now, a lot of times you've got these different alternative teams that people choose to be. I never come across anybody who chooses to be the Browns. I've never faced anyone. And I've been playing Madden ultimate team for three years now when I work out. I've never faced someone who is the Browns. Who's emulating the Browns? Who wants to be anyone connected to the Browns? At this point, no one. Saquon Barkley could be that guy. And it's a lot more likely Saquon Barkley becomes that guy than Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, or any other quarterback they could draft. That's for damn sure. They're still rolling the dice. Now, will they go quarterback because they don't like being criticized for passing on Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson? I don't know. I could make the case for and against taking Saquon Barkley. I can't make the case against Barkley embracing Cleveland. I think he should if he's the pick. I think he could be a great Cleveland Brown. I think he could be exactly what the Browns need. Peyton Hillis, was that the last star member of the Browns? He was on the cover of Madden. Remember Peyton Hillis? I'll understand if you don't. Now, the Browns ended up with the number one overall pick in the draft because they went 0-16 last year. The Giants seemed to be tanking at one point when they tried to implement the misguided decision to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith. Of course, John Mara, the co-owner of the Giants, angrily reacted to the suggestion that they were tanking. Okay, fine. They're tanking. Tanking happens. I see so many tanking stories in the NBA, and I think this is why the NFL does not have a draft lottery. Can you imagine how popular a draft lottery would be? They're going to have 270,000 people at the draft. The draft is huge. they are thinking about putting the draft on every network to make it like the presidential election. That's how big the draft is. The draft, a show about nothing, a meeting where a list of names is articulated 10 minutes apart for the first round, five minutes apart after that. It's the ultimate reality show's ultimate reality show, and you could throw another layer on top of that with a draft lottery like the NBA has. But here's the thing. When you take the teams that don't make it to the playoffs and when you give the team that was the worst team in the NBA the most number of balls, is that how they still do it? The weighted balls, and it goes based upon how bad you are. You get more chances to win the first overall pick. That acknowledges that it's good to be bad, and the NFL does not want to acknowledge that it's good to be bad. That's the great disconnect right now in professional football. The NFL will never acknowledge that there's any reason to do anything other than show up on any given Sunday and every given Sunday and Monday and Thursday and any other day that they would play a game and do anything other than try to win. It doesn't process, it doesn't compute it short circuits Roger Goodell's brain if you suggest that you know what? Under some circumstances, there may be teams out there that don't want to win. I know that may sound ridiculous, Roger, but there may be some circumstances where that team that is looking at either three and thirteen or two and fourteen will gladly take two and fourteen because with two and fourteen comes the top pick in the draft. And look at how much. The Jets gave up to move from six to three, five and 11 versus four and 12. Who cares when you stink, you stink. And there's an incentive to stink even more. And it really is amazing to me. And it's a credit to the NFL that this never catches on. I think I'm the only one that ever talks about this. It's hiding in plain sight, the temptation to tank, the reality that we have to watch anytime there's a strategic decision made late in the season to see what younger players can do. That's the sign of tanking. Second half, Buccaneers-Saints, 2014, Week 17. Bucks up by double digits. Half their starters get yanked from the game. Saints win. Bucks win the first overall pick in the draft. It was obvious. It was obvious. Now, we're seeing reports of friction between owners and coaches. Because see, your coach has to be all in. Not that your coach is the one who's hatching the idea, but when the owner says, you know, I want to see what the young quarterback can do. we got to give that player some reps. We've got to treat the balance of this season as advanced preseason for next season. That's the code for we gain nothing from winning, let's go ahead and lose. Now the coach has to be pretty damn secure in his position because a lot of times when a team bottoms out, the team gets fired. But I'm fascinated by the NFL's ability to, to avoid any real suggestion that there's an incentive to tank. Of course there is. And wait, gambling's about to be legalized. Week 17, Browns versus the Giants. And I just throw out the Giants because they were bad this year. I don't think the Giants are going to be back in the mix for the number one overall pick anytime soon. Browns versus whoever the team is that's going to be in consideration for the first overall pick. They're playing week 17. Week 17. And one team's favored by five. And we assume both teams are going to do everything they possibly can to win. And the players on the field will. They don't have to go out and lay down. Oh, man, if we lose this game, we're going to have the number one pick in the draft next year. The players aren't thinking about that. But the owners are. Or they should be. See, I'm not saying they shouldn't. What fascinates me about this is they should. If you are a good business person, and you realize that this process... This draft process has been created to reward you for being bad. There's a point where you say, let me just be as bad as I can be. The worse I am now, the better I can be in the future because I can go out and get that guy. I mean, we first really became cognizant of it with suck for luck, but we knew about it before then. I just think it's amazing that it's never been a thing for the NFL. And that's why they don't have a draft lottery. Maybe they should have a true draft lottery. Maybe it should be... I mean, that's the way to eliminate any and all tanking. Actually, the ultimate way to eliminate any temptation to tank is to tie the draft order based upon how good you are. You win the Super Bowl, you get the first overall pick in the draft. You lose the Super Bowl, you get the second pick. You're the worst team in the league, you get the last pick. That would truly make it a meritocracy in all respects. You want the top pick in the draft? Go out and be the best team. But see, they want to have parity. They want to have competitive balance. But you know what? If you want to remove the temptation to tank, how about make it a true lottery with one team, one ball, 32 balls, one machine, and we're going to determine the draft order tonight. And every team has an equal chance. That eliminates any temptation to tank, and that would be a reality show. Could you imagine that? That would be must-see TV. A Thursday night In March. Let's say late March, right after the league meetings. Maybe they do it in conjunction with the league meetings when everyone's together. That's what you do. NFL, I hope you're taking notes. This is free high level business advice. You want to take this thing to the next level and you want to eradicate the temptation to tank a draft lottery, all teams involved, each team has one ball. You do it on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night in connection with the league meetings. You got every owner there. It's on NFL Network and what the hell? Put it on Fox, NBC, CBS, ABC, ESPN, C-SPAN, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, USA Network, Golf Channel. What the hell? Put it on all of them. That would be something. And the Super Bowl champion has the same chance as the team that finishes worst in the NFL of getting the first overall pick. That would be something. That would remove any and all temptation to tank in December. The thing that the NFL will never acknowledge, that goes away forever if you have a true draft lottery. And man, that would be compelling. Well, that wouldn't be fair. Well, this whole sense of fair is premised on creating an incentive to be bad. You reward a team for being bad. Why? Well, we have to give the worst team in football a fair opportunity to make itself better. Why? By putting the thumb on the scale and letting the worst team in football get dibs on the incoming players? Bullshit! Why should that be a reward? There are so many things about the draft that is anti-American. Because it does restrict competition. For labor, it prevents guys from deciding where they want to embark on their careers. The biggest way it's anti-American is it avoids being bad, or it rewards being bad, not avoids, rewards. Congratulations, you sucked more than anyone else this year. You get dibs on all of the players coming in. Think about that. Is that what we are? Is that who we are? That's that's worse than a participation trophy. We hear people rail all the time oh we the participation trophy society. This is worse than that. This is finding the worst team in the T ball league and giving them the championship trophy. I know they'll never do it, but I'll tell you what, you make me commissioner for a day, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I'd change. There'd be a lot of action items on the agenda. It would be a lengthy to-do list. Near the top, install a true draft lottery that gives every team an equal shot, one through 32. You put that on TV, that may get higher ratings in the draft itself. All right, one last thing before we play the Geis interview and then I answer some of your questions. All or Nothing, the Amazon series that's debuting soon. I got early access to it, I've watched all of it. I think it's well done. But I got to make a couple of comments. First of all, I had no idea Jason Garrett was such a potty mouth. I talked about that on PFT Live today. He's dropping F-bombs like crazy with no purpose. It's too casual. I got no problem. I'm not offended by the F-word. I think the F-word is a meaningless expletive. And I've seen that there are studies out there that suggest that if you use it from time to time, it actually makes you feel better. But for Garrett, he's got to be numb to it. Garrett's built up a tolerance to the point where I don't think it does anything for him. It just pops up in like spots where you wouldn't expect it. It's like a tick. It's weird. But it is a good look at what went on with the Cowboys. And for people who think Garrett is just a glorified cheerleader, he rips those guys. He gives it to them. And the Ezekiel Elliott drama played out. And look, I don't know how much they would have steered around it if they could. The thing that really disappointed me is they they hardly spent any time on Jerry Jones versus Roger Goodell. And it was incomplete. It was very unsatisfying. Can you imagine if this was true all access? Jerry Jones on a phone call, a conference call with the members of the compensation committee. Jerry Jones and his lawyer meeting to strategize. Now the problem is you waive the attorney-client privilege if you have cameras in the room. But you don't release the footage until the matter has been concluded and there's, there's no worry about anyone saying, oh, you've waived your attorney-client privilege. There could have been some compelling conversations, conversations between Jerry and Stephen Jones about what they plan to do. Those aren't attorney-client privilege. About their options. Radio interviews where Stephen Jones dismisses the idea that owners could come after Jerry and take his franchise. Hangs up the phone. I can't believe they're talking about this bullshit. What does the Constitution and bylaws say? Well, you know what? It says that uh, this is one of the potential sanctions for conduct detrimental to the league. Oh, boy. There's a lot of stuff that could have made it in there. But here's the thing. And and I'm not complaining because at least we get some access. But we need to remember when the subject of the documentary is producing the documentary It really isn't a true documentary. It really isn't reality. It's the version of reality that they want us to see. The same thing applies to Hard Knocks. It applies to All or Nothing. It applies to any NFL Films presentation relating to the NFL. Because the subject of the documentary is producing the documentary. And we're never gonna see the full picture. They show us what they want us to see. They show us what they're willing to allow us to see. And that's fine, but man, wouldn't it be something if there ever was a truly independent documentary about life in the NFL? They'd never allow it. No team would ever submit to it. I mean, maybe if you pay them enough money, maybe that's the way to do it. Somebody rolls in and says, hey, Dallas Cowboys, I got an idea for you. No, not Dallas Cowboys. Hey, team that no one cares about that is looking to establish a national platform and really wants to give an authentic look. Here's what we're going to do team that no one cares about, we are going to put cameras and microphones everywhere and we're going to pay you X million dollars to let us do this. And you have to sign over to us the ability to have final say, creative control. We decide what gets used and what doesn't get used. I don't know how many million you have to put on the table to get somebody to agree to that, but that's the only way that you're ever going to get a true look at what's going on. And even then. There's a chance that whatever ultimately is produced, the team would complain, the team would moan, the team would say, you know what, this is all fake news, this is all lies, this is unfair, as they cash their check and say, man, we made a whole lot of money for nothing. All right, wow, I made the call for questions today, five minutes before I started taping. Not because I planned it that way. I'd forgotten. Is that 86 questions? And I didn't even ask for questions. I said, taping PFTPM soon. True members of hashtag PFTPM Posse know what that means. And I'm looking at 86 questions. All right. Let's see what we can do here. And there's actually a PFTPM Posse Twitter handle. I don't know who's running this. I think Brady otherwise known as Show is running the PFTPM Posse Twitter account. The PFTPM Posse would also like to hear even more of you answering Twitter questions. That is our favorite part because you talk about what we want and you too. So, you, so don't short the question and answer part unless you want that fear of violence you mentioned on PFT Live becoming reality. Yes, I fear the PFTPM Posse is going to track me down and do bad things to me if I stop doing the PFTPM podcast. All right, here's what I'll do. I'll I'll look for any questions. This has become a conversation thread for the members of the PFTPM podcast. So let me scroll through here. If you want to check it out, the question is posted on the PFT Twitter handle. It's not even a question. It just says, taping PFTPM soon. And as previously mentioned, true members of the PFTP and Posse know what that means. And below that are all the various observations. Now I will look for questions. And I'm still looking for questions. All right. Here's a question from Black88Elite. Would having Des Bryant benefit the Giants by allowing them to squeeze Odell into taking a better team-friendly deal and also allow them to have potential top-notch receivers? I don't think that's going to help get a deal done with Odell Beckham Jr., I mean, if Des Bryant would go to the Giants, he'd basically be taking Brandon Marshall's place, and Des Bryant would have to be willing to be the number two, number three guy at best. Maybe number two at best. Probably number three with Sterling Shepard there. And Evan Engram may really emerge this year. And if they draft Saquon Barkley, there's only one football, but I don't think it has any relevance to Odell Beckham Jr.'s contract. At Sergio D, what did Bruno Sammartino mean to the Italian community in the greater Pittsburgh area? I don't know that he was a guy that had any specific meaning to the Italian community per se. I mean, when I was a kid, I wasn't like constantly looking around for Italians who had done well. I didn't think of it that way. I really didn't. And my parents did a good job, I believe, of not allowing me to define myself in a certain way. And I think that goes back to the whole idea of assimilating into American society. I think if you walked around too conscious of the fact that you were an Italian, and hey, let's look at what all the other Italians are doing, and let's band together as Italians, that, that prevented the kind of assimil- assimilation into American society that I think they wanted. Now, I think other Italians felt differently, And other Italians felt you got to stick together. And I think my Italian pride came through a little bit more as I got older. But I, I remember my mom once telling me she was thinking about giving me a name that was ethnic. And she decided not to. And we never had the full conversation as to why. But I think one of the reasons she didn't go with Bruno or Gino. Or any of the more ethnic Italian names is it was about assimilating into American society. And her maiden name had been butchered at Ellis Island from D'Alessandro to Alexander. And I think, I don't know, there was just a message that was either consciously claimed or subconsciously adopted by my family that we're not going to walk around and, you know, be overly zealous about being Italian. We're Americans. That's what we are. That's who we are. And we're here with the other Americans and we're all trying to get by and we're all trying to succeed and we're all trying. So, I mean, I I like Bruno Sammartino because he was a wrestler. He was on TV back when it was called Studio Wrestling. And there actually was a show on what was WIIC TV in Pittsburgh, changed its call line to WPXI at one point, but it was called Studio Wrestling and it was wrestling in a TV studio. And at some point it moved from WIIC to WPGH. I was doing some research about this today. Apparently the people at WIIC, the news crowd there, thought it was demeaning to the brand to have wrestling in the studio. So WPGH in Pittsburgh had it for a while. And then at some point, the WWWF, it was at one point the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, three W's and an F. That became two W's and an F, and then it became WWE at some point, I don't know, in the last 25 years. I don't know when they did it. But the roots of that were studio wrestling, Bruno Sammartino. He was, at one point, the WWF champion. And that's what's weird. I don't think of Italian when I think of Bruno Sammartino. I just think wrestling. He's a guy who was a great wrestler. He was a guy who was, you know, big and muscular at a time when a lot of people weren't overtly big and muscular. I hope that made some sense. At recliner QB, if when Reuben Foster is suspended by the NFL, what will the outrage and backlash be, if any, when he gets the same six-game suspension as Zeke, or maybe less than that? I don't know what's going to happen with Reuben Foster. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen with Reuben Foster. And I think there's enough here to justify a longer suspension than six games. Because remember, six games is the baseline. And Reuben Foster may do time. Reuben Foster's career may end because he's physically unable to report for duty. So let's see how this plays out. I think if you're a Cowboys fan and you're concerned about how Ezekiel Elliott was treated last year, it's far more appropriate to keep an eye on the Jameis Winston situation and see what happens there because that one's more apples-to-apples comparable. No arrest, no charges. How aggressive will the NFL be with Winston in comparison to how over-the-top aggressive they were with Ezekiel Elliott? At the Impact 99... Has there been any movement toward a new owner in Carolina? I think it's moving toward a conclusion. I think that there are two finalists. And it may be that Jerry Richardson wants to go one way and that the league would like to go the other way. And Jerry Richardson wants to go the way that results in more money. I think the league maybe has a club member that is viewed as more viable because ultimately this is admission into the most exclusive country club in the NFL. So I think it's moving toward that end. I check in with Darren Gantt from time to time. He works for PFT. He lives in Charlotte. He's keeping his finger on the pulse. Maybe at some point soon, I'll have him do an update based upon what he knows and what is out there. At Terry Gensler 14, would Charlie Fry and Kelly Holcomb be more famous if they were members of PFT PM Posse instead of just being on the Browns quarterback jersey? I, I mentioned that one because I did have a comment earlier about I don't know how many people are in this PFTPM posse. I hope at some point it is more than would be on the back of that notorious Browns quarterback jersey because one of the folks suggested that the t-shirt should have the Twitter handles of the members of the PFTPM posse. I'd like to think at some point there'd be so many that they wouldn't fit on the back of a t-shirt. At the Impact 99, what team that we've heard little of to this point will be the surprise move maker in the first round? That's a good question. And that's my way of buying time. I don't know, because then it's not a surprise. I've seen the Steelers surprise with moves up in the past to get somebody they really want. I think the Cowboys could move up to get somebody they really want. They're willing to make a move when they need to. But there has to be somebody you really, really want. And I think that most teams have kept close to the vest what they really, really think. And now we're in that bubble, we're in that window, we're in that zone where a deal can get done. And remember this, it's always better to pick up that first round selection when that selection is on the clock. That's what surprised me about the timing of the Brandon Cooks trade, that it was out there, that it was open. I mean, the Patriots and the Rams could have agreed that, you know what, we're going to hold this until the draft. I think the Rams just wanted to get it done and get Brandon Cooks into the building. They don't care if the Patriots have any extra strategic edge in no one knowing they're going to have the 23rd overall pick in round one. But ideally, you would like to get that pick when that pick's on the clock. Because if somebody makes a move now, anything short of moving to number one, there's a chance you're not going to get the guy you want. There's a chance you're going to get leapfrogged. And it could be that the Bills know exactly who they want, And that player has to be there after the first overall pick. And if that happens, they're going to make Dave Gettleman an offer he can't refuse. That's the one that everyone's watching. And typically, what happens? It's the one that we're not watching that makes a move. Some think the Dolphins are going to make a move to get Baker Mayfield. And with the Jets there at number three, and the Jets believed to be all over Baker Mayfield, if the Bills or the Dolphins decide that's who they want, there's one way to get him. You got to do that deal with the Giants, but you don't do it now. Cause here's the thing. If the Bills or the, or the Dolphins pick up the number two pick now, the Jets have eight days to get the number one pick. You know, it's like the old thing when you, you're doing what, you're on the baseball bat one hand after another until you're the one with the thumb on top. You don't want to give the Jets the opening to get the thumb on top. And if I was the Jets, I'd still be thinking, you know, maybe we should just go ahead and go to number one. We're gonna have to sweat this out. There's a chance the guy we really want is going to be taken by one of the teams in our division that's going to figure out who we want. is going to move up to number two and take him. The only way to avoid that is to get to number one. At Terry Gensler 14, will Brady base his retirement decision on who the Patriots draft? No, no. I don't think that if he retires, it's going to have nothing to do with who they draft. Now, I think one of his factors may be, will they come to me and fix my contract? Should I have to ask for them to ensure that I'm going to be making more money this year than Blake Bortles? Right now, Tom Brady's making $3 million less than Blake Bortles. And I don't think Tom Brady should have to say, hey, Mr. Kraft, let's let's do something about this contract. I think that he believes they should know there's a disparity here that they should address if they want this guy to play again. So I think, and, and it's not about the money. He doesn't need the money. But at some point, it is about respect. Do they properly respect me? Are they properly taking care of me? Are they giving me the little indications that they value my contributions, that they appreciate what I've done, and that they truly want me to be part of this thing going forward? And it's one little thing after another that you string together and you eventually say, you know what, maybe they don't value me. Boy, we've been going for an hour and I haven't factored in the geist. This one's going to be long today. I'm sorry about that. She said. Uh another one from Terry Gensler, if kickoffs go away and after a touchdown it's fourth and fifteen from your own thirty five, I think it's gonna be thirty. Will kickers who are good throwers or quarterbacks who are good kickers become a skill set that is sought after? That's a good question. That's a good question. You know, we get so obsessed with well, if the kickoff goes away, guys like Matthew Slater will have never had careers in the NFL. Oh well, somebody else will. A punter who can throw becomes far more valuable. If that punter is going to be out there on the field and from time to time you want to do a surprise onside kick simulation, i.e. a fake punt, or I don't know that you would, would you do the Randall Cunningham okey doke where, and they've done this with Ben Roethlisberger as well, where you line up to go for it and you punt it instead, and you hope to get it over the head of the last guy and it trickles out of bounds or comes to a stop inside the 20. I don't know, but I think it would dramatically reconfigure the way that we look at punters, the way that we look at members of the offense who could be in a position to punt. But look, they already punt how many times a game? Between, what, three and six? Is that the average? So it's just more punts, but I think it accentuates the value of the things that punters can do and the things that other players could do In a situation where you would unexpectedly be punting. But that would be something. That would be lining up for an onside kick and kicking it deep. Putting your quarterback on the field in shotgun formation. Making the defense think. Think about that. You're in that. I, I like this. I like this. Let me sound this out. There's. Let's say. Two minutes left in the game and you have all three timeouts. And the fourth and 15 play is the new kickoff. So, do you go onside kick or do you kick away? Right? So you put your quarterback out on the field and it's Ben Roethlisberger slash Randall Cunningham, a quarterback who can punt. The defense is expecting that you're going for it. You're declaring that you're going to do an onside kick. So they're playing the sticks. There's nobody deep. And remember, you got two minutes left and all three timeouts. And Roethlisberger slash Cunningham gets the ball and booms it over the defense, and it bounces around, and it comes to rest inside the five. The team that's up by one score has the ball inside its own five, and the defense has three timeouts. And you're going to play it safe down there. And the run gets stuffed once, twice, three times. Timeout, timeout, timeout. There's 135 left at this point. And instead of having to convert 4th and 15, you're getting the ball on a punt that's coming from out of the end zone. Where? On the 40, 45, 50? There's There's going to be all sorts of strategic wrinkles and angles. And let me tell you, I embrace that a hell of a lot more than this play that's been systematically neutered by the NFL to the point where it's a perfunctory kickoff, it's into the end zone, and we start at the 25 for the most part. I like that. At Terry Gensler 14, can we get a hashtag PFTPM posse against the fumble through the end zone touchback movement? Brady, b flo show responds, worst rule in sports, full stop. See, I think that's it. Maybe to be in the PFTPM posse, you have to... You have to buy into a certain set of beliefs. And rule number one would be get rid of the fumble through the end zone is a touchback rule. I have to come up with a PFTPM posse manifesto. Ten things you have to believe in. If you believe that, then you're a member of PFTPM posse. I I think maybe a thousand dollars for the shirt. I'd rather do that. At all stats are made... What's on the table for changing the kickoff? Are the real alternatives being proposed or are they looking to cut it out completely? Well, if they cut it out, there has to be an alternative. And the only alternative that makes sense is the one we were just talking about. Fourth and 15. You can punt it, which is the equivalent of kicking off. You can go for it, which is the equivalent of the onside kick when we know the onside kick is coming. Or you can do a fake punt, which would be the simulation of the surprise onside kick. And we've now tripped over this simulation of feigning an onside kick and kicking it away. And that is the quarterback out on the field who punts it over the defense and gets great field position for his defense when that ball comes to a rest inside the five. So that's what the play would be. And you know, it's funny. It shows you how closely people pay attention to these issues and how closely they follow the news. I mean, for me, who lives this every day, I've grown weary of all this talk of getting rid of the kickoff because I know it keeps coming up, it keeps coming up, it keeps coming up. For a lot of fans, what's this talk about getting rid of the kickoff? What? What's going on? What? What is this? What's the alter- I've never heard of the 4th and 15 before. I-, I hear more and more people saying that. So, you know, I think that that's why the NFL has done this gradually. To get people to wake up slowly to the idea that the kickoff's going away and to embrace the notion of this fourth and 15 play taking its place, which I think is the only alternative that allows for. Short of, I mean, if you just say, here's a ball in the 25, go, you have no opportunity for a team that's trailing to try to get the ball back. And the NFL will not want to take away a team's opportunity to get the ball back. At Flofo show hearing talk of Rosen dropping and getting Patriots buzz do you res- realistically see them using any of their first round picks on a quarterback yes yes and one of the big reasons for using 23 or 31 on a quarterback is having that guy for 5 years if they had taken Jimmy Garoppolo bottom around 1 back in 2014 maybe right now Garoppolo would still be under contract cuz he'd be on his 5th year option so i think it makes sense to take a guy in the first round And maybe Rosen slips through the cracks just enough that they can trade up not to four or five, but maybe you just have to get in front of the Dolphins and the Bills at 11 and 12. I don't have the draft order in front of me. Whoever has number 10, maybe that's a team that becomes a candidate for the Patriots and a trade up. 23 and 31 to get number 10. Let's see what number 10 is right now. If this page will load, please load page. The Raiders are at 10. The The Niners at nine. Hey, you know, we gave you Garoppolo for a second round pick. The least you can do, the least you can do, Kyle, is let us move up to number nine. Please take our 23rd and 31st pick in exchange for number nine, please. And let's not rule that out. There's a good relationship there. Born of the mutual respect that Mike Shanahan and Bill Belichick have for each other. They really did give Garoppolo away to the 49ers. Maybe the future considerations that were unspoken or at least unwritten at the time. Hey, 49ers, here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to maybe get your first overall pick. Not your first overall pick, but you know what I mean, like your first round pick next year to get our quarterback. Maybe if Rosen's on the board at number nine, maybe that's the move the Patriots make. And maybe the 49ers happily take 23 and 31 to do it because they got Garoppolo for nothing. See, this is one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast, because I doubt that I would have otherwise been sitting around thinking of crazy, and this isn't crazy. Is it crazy? I don't think it's crazy. Is it crazy that I'm expecting someone to answer me when no one else is involved? I don't think it's crazy. I'm going to have to write that one up. I like that one. All right, what else do we have here? At Recliner Cube, a couple of questions. I, I want to wrap this up, and I appreciate the uh, the questions. 86 of them today. A lot of it, though, interaction among PFTP and Posse folks. You got to. You can't clutter up the the call for questions with with a bunch of visiting. I appreciate the fact that you're all getting along, but it's getting in the way of me having an efficient podcast here. At Recliner QB has a question on whether or not I play board games or old school games. If so, what's my favorite? I And Recliner QB adds, my wife and kids won't play Monopoly or any other board game with me because I'm supposedly too competitive. I just like to win. I used to love playing Monopoly. And I can remember getting together with my friends when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, and we would play these marathon games of Monopoly. And it was always fun to set it up and play. And at a certain point, it kind of... It it, it gets stale. It gets old. I haven't played a good board game in a long time. I used to like playing Stratego. Remember that? Stratego. I never was into Risk. I never understood Risk. And I, I had a hard enough time winning at Stratego. I liked Monopoly. A little Scrabble from time to time. I'd play Scrabble with my mom from time to time. Good way to expand the vocabulary. But you know what? Once I discovered video games, that was it. And I remember... From about the age of 13, 14. Remember the first time I saw Pong? Remember the first time I saw that you can actually get one of these consoles in your house and play these games. So you don't have to get a roll of quarters and ride your bike to the arcade and play these arcade games. And I remember when I was a kid thinking, man, I'd love to have an arcade game in my house one day. And now we all do. We got arcade quality stuff in our house. Where you can download the latest game and it looks just as good as anything you would drop into, a drop a coin into. So for me, I think that board games were just something to do while uh, the video game technology was perfected to the point where I'll just play Madden, thank you. And I remember just wanting like to find the perfect football video game. And I don't know that Madden is perfect, but I've really enjoyed it over the last few years. And I know that 2K5 and the 2K series was giving it a run for its money. And I was mad when Madden basically bought out the competition by buying the exclusive license, but I got over it after about 10 years. And, uh, that's my answer on board games. I've always been a video game guy and I guess board games are something to do when the power's out. But if I had to, Monopoly would be the first choice. At NFL Leeds wants to know about the Dirk Cutter story that I've referred to from time to time. Let me tell that story. I thought I already had, have I not told the Dirk Cutter story? I'll tell that another day. I promise. I just, we've been going on for too long now and I probably should wrap this up. I feel bad because there's so many good questions here today. Maybe I'll answer some of them on Twitter. I got some things to do because there's a hockey game tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. So I got to take care of some business before hockey. Most importantly, I got to go pick up pizza for uh, the hockey game. Pizza Hut, the official sponsor of the NFL and the official pizza provider of PFTPM. Maybe. Pizza, sheets and Lego. We're working on those three. And a Madden. Shouldn't, shouldn't, I mean, I give Madden so much free pub. They probably may be a little upset that I crapped on it for, you know, six or seven years before that. At some point, they'll get over it, though. Maybe after six or seven years of free Madden publicity. The PFTPM podcast will be presented by Madden when hell freezes over. Madden 38. (laughs) God, just think about that. I remember at one point early on in the life cycle of Madden, when they started numbering it, Madden 92, Madden 93, Madden 94, I remember thinking, you know what? There's going to be like a Madden 07. There's going to be a Madden. I never even thought 18. I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, they're going to keep coming out with new versions of this every year and my life is going to go by with each new version of Madden. Now, again, I had about a 10-year break where I didn't, I still bought it, but I never played it. But isn't that weird to think that, you know, it's just going to continue long after anyone even knows that John Madden was a football coach who was successful. That's just the name that's going to get associated with the NFL video game simulation. Strange. Food for thought. And that's it absent any other high note on which I can exit today's, you know what? Did I ever lay out for the Darius Geis interview? I can't remember whether or not I did. I think I did. God, it's been a long day. All right, let me get out of here before I make things worse. We'll do this again tomorrow. Thanks for some of your time. See you Thursday.